Hey, everyone, and thanks for joining me on the Bringing Care Home podcast. I'm your guest host, Kathy McGuire, and for those who don't know, know me, I'm a recently retired uh, healthcare and home care executive, and I'm uh, jumping into this new world, and it's my maiden voyage as your guest host. Um, today, I'm going to be speaking with two top executives from Intis Care, and um, I want to welcome them both uh, to our uh, living room here. I got a chance to meet the Chief Executive Officer, Robbie Felton, and the Chief Operating Officer, Evan Jackson, recently at the National Pace Association Fall Conference, and was really excited to have them bring their story to our audience. So, Evan, Robbie, welcome. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Great to be here. Excellent. Well, why don't we get started? Um, let's just sit here casually right in the living room and have you tell us a little bit about how you both met and got into care started. Yeah, that's that's a, a, a great story um, that Evan and I tell often and we look fondly on. We met at, at Brown University on our, our first day. We were playing football together, actually, and we ended up rooming together during the summer before school started. And uh, we became friends, became good pals. And eventually, like, I really was focused on healthcare. Evan was really focused on finance and social impact. And our, our interests were aligning. And we ended up um, thinking about, okay, how can we work together to have an impact? And Intis ended up being one of the first things we thought of. And I had gotten interested in this space because my mother's a geriatric social worker. And uh, like I've been passionate about elderly and geriatric care. And I know Evan had some like similar history and it ended up being a, a perfect pairing from that regard. But I'll, I'll pass it to Evan to give his side of the story. Yeah, I think um, at the time, Robbie and I might have been the only two students on campus who came in with a passion for geriatric care. And uh, it was it was a really special uh, pairing. And for myself, you know, as Robbie mentioned, I come from a family of folks who spent a lot of time caring um, in the nursing home from a family of nurses, ranging from RNs to CNAs. Um, I also spent some time in high school um, working in private equity um, with a focus on long-term care private equity. So spent some time really learning the model, learning the space. And it wasn't until I got to college and met Robbie that I started diving deeper into the value-based care space and particularly PACE, um, which is, is ultimately become our passion um, in the ways that we ultimately one day want to be cared for um, when we get older. Excellent. Well, and for our audience, the uh, PACE is the Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly, one of my passions for the last uh, 40 years, and, uh, and certainly uh, well known as the gold standard for caring for frail seniors in the community. So good on you guys. Um, so, so how did the, um, what, what was the kind of push for starting Intis Care though? Like, you know, talk a, a little bit about what does Intis Care do and you know, how, how you ended up, what problem were you solving? Right. So, so there's some relevant backstory here. Like I said, my mother is a geriatric social worker and I, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but she would commute to Detroit every day and go on home visits to see elderly, low income and disabled patients. Eventually in her career, she transitioned to becoming the director of a PACE program. And there were a few steps before that. She was a social worker at the PACE program. Eventually she was a social work manager then center, ma center manager, eventually becoming executive director. And, and now, Kathy, you probably saw her at the conference. She's one of the National Pace Association board directors. 
and she uh, chairs the policy committee. So she's one of the people tasked with growing pace nationwide. And as I was growing up, I, I'd go on those home visits with her. Eventually, I started spending a lot of time in her pace program and, and just generally working with her. We realized that a lot of the technical innovation that's going on throughout the world, throughout healthcare even, um, hasn't quite penetrated or integrated into PACE yet. Um, so PACE has been overlooked in that sense. And what we wanted to do is build tools, best practices, and the systems that are going to help enable these programs and, and programs like PACE to best take care of their um, low-income, elderly, and high-needs membership. Yeah. And when we started and originally started thinking about this, our sophomore year, we knew that pace was the model that we wanted to impact. And we became those those guys who were skipping the uh, skipping the basketball game, skipping the the dances to, to read the pace regulations. And that's really where that passion began. And then it was our junior year that we realized that we really wanted to uh, dive incredibly deeply into this model. So that's when we had the very difficult conversation with our parents at the time, letting them know that we would be leaving school to go work full-time in PACE programs. And uh, at the time, I mean, outside of Robbie's mother, um, there was a, a question of, well, what is PACE? What's going on over there? Why are you Why are you so passionate here? But leaving school and, and going to work in the PACE programs was the best decision we could have ever made. And what we did was we spent time in those um, those centers, really spending time with the nurses, the, the PT team, the participants, the administrators. And we realized very quickly that in this interdisciplinary model, it was incredibly important for them to understand the holistic data in regards to their care for the individual participants. So these programs and these individuals were documenting clinical information in the electronic medical record, storing claims data in their claim system, pharmacy data in their PBM, and they had their different administrative systems. But this information and these systems were talking to each other to be able to, to help them understand where they can make the biggest impact on participant clinical care. Um, ultimately with the goal of keeping the participants happy, healthy in the home versus in, in uh, institutional settings. And so that's really where we started. So the platform initially was designed to pull all this these data sources together and surface the most relevant insights. So um, members of the interdisciplinary team could provide the right care at the right time for the right people. So our system services those individuals who are at risk. Um, our SaaS platform really shows programs, how they're trending, where they have opportunities for growth, opportunities for improvement, ultimately, again, with the focus on, on helping them understand where they can make the highest impact on, on clinical care for the individuals that they serve. Outstanding. Well, and something that um, each of you kind of alluded to is this idea that, you know, nobody else was working on this. PACE has 150 programs in the country, and so, you know, the big, huge EMRs are not developing for them. Um, there's no one, uh, you know, platform that's, that's serving all of them, and so the idea that you could create something that pulls from whatever they're using can be really helpful. Neat. Well, so so, what do you think as you as you um, sat in those pace programs side by side with those clinicians, kind of experiencing what the what the participants experience? Um, what do you feel like was your biggest takeaway from um, their day to day that you thought you could build a solution for? Yeah. So I think one of the things. <clears throat> that I realized immediately is that generally people want to to do well and do their jobs well. 
And it's frustrating to be inhibited by technology or by process um, or by any external factor when like ultimately you're a clinician who got into clinical care to take care of people and you want to make people feel happy, healthy, and have an impact, a positive impact on people's lives. And when there's <clears throat> a system or a number of systems um, that are slowing you down, that are making it more difficult for you to make decisions, um, especially when all the pieces are there potentially for them to help you make decisions, like that's, that's the worst thing in the world. Um, and we were seeing nurses spend all day in Excel. Um, and you can tell that they're longing to go back to patient care, but you're documenting or you're planning or you're um, prepping bespoke spreadsheets, which um, isn't why anyone goes to become an RN or why anyone becomes an NP or why anyone goes to medical school. So we wanted to streamline things, make things more efficient, make things more practical um, so people can do the jobs that they love and impact the people that they care about. Um, and that, that was my biggest takeaway from spending time in those PACE programs. So lose all those manual flow charts and, and flow sheets and just put it in the EMR and pull it into a dashboard. Exactly. And one of the stories that um, and evenings that was most impactful for me was, you know, we were sitting in the, the PACE center. It was around seven or eight o'clock at night, well after the participants had left. And there was a nurse in the office and she was still there. And we were asking her, well, what are you doing? Why are you still here? You know, what's going on? And she was like, well, tonight's my son's basketball game, but I'm putting together the data for our falls review committee tomorrow and trying to pull out the insights so that we can make the best care decisions for our participants. And that was really one of our, our there has to be a better way moments. You know, ultimately the information had already been documented in the electronic medical record, but she was spending all this trying to time trying to put together the right insights and pull out those right insights so that they could have the proper discussions the next day. And, and that's really when we were like, okay, this is, um, this is an area we could really impact and something that, that would have substantial impact, not only in the participants, but on the lives of the providers. Yes. I remember the early days of PACE when we were doing that on paper. No. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, so, so how has, well, first of all, before we even go into how have you evolved since the beginning, I got to ask the question. So you dropped out of school for yeah. a year. Um, your families were, except for, except for Robbie's mom, <laughs> your families were saying, pace what? Um, and so how did that go over? And, um, and did you go back? It's, it's, it's funny you ask that because at the time it definitely did not go over well. Um, I think, uh, you know, being in the fortunate position that we were to be, you know, in our second year at Brown, school was going well to, to sort of drop everything and pursue this mission was a, a challenging conversation. And um, we did ultimately make the commitment to our parents that we would go back and finish. And we are we are college graduates now from from Brown. Um, and it's funny seeing the full circle moment because that was now three, three, almost four years ago. And the other day, my mom called me telling me she's trying to get my great aunt into a PACE program. So it was a really special full circle moment. And now you're an expert because you've got a list of all 150. <laughs> I, told, I, I told her to, to send, me, send me your county and zip code and I'll tell her the PACE program that, uh, <laughs> that works for Exactly. Look it up on the PACE Association website. Good for you. Exactly. That's what I do all the time. Wait, wait, you live in a Catherine yeah. area. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Good for you. Well, so so I guess now, after all that angst, your families have the ability to to be a, do a little bit of bragging. Oh, they did all this and they graduated on time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think they're most proud of most proud of the the reach and the impact that we're having. I mean, especially from my mom's perspective, like we're helping her peers. <clears throat> we're helping them provide better care, and I think we both come from very like impact driven families community service uh ultimately like always looking for an opportunity to help people so it's i'm glad we can do well while doing well for others um or helping others um improve their lives so it it is exciting and and our families are are very proud well i gotta tell you you and i met in the uh, restaurant a few weeks ago in in miami and i and and i got I got to chat with your mom for just a few minutes, and as a proud, you know, mom of a of a entrepreneur myself, I know I could see it in her eyes and I could hear it in her words how proud she is of you, not only as a son but as a colleague, because that's what you guys are now to to your mom and to those other Pace executives. So um, it was it was pretty exciting to see the smile on her face. Um, so I noticed on your. Um, social media platforms that you're still, even now, uh, your staff and your teams are in PACE programs kind of experiencing the day-to-day. Talk a little bit about the other services that you guys have started to develop as you kind of put forward this platform and are putting out these, you know, information tools. Um, What else have you developed as you've gone along and, and how did you come to those ideas for services? Yeah. So thematically, one of the things we believe in is like ensuring that people are receiving the right care at the right time every single day. And for that to happen, people need, from a clinical perspective, need to be able to get out of the weeds and look at, like I said, fewer spreadsheets, fewer laptop screens, and spend more time on patient care. So when we brought on Laura Ferreira, our our chief strategy officer, who is the CEO of a rapidly growing PACE program in Michigan, uh, one of the things we were ideating with her is how do we remove some of the um, administrative and management burden from programs and allow their expert clinical staff to be able to spend time delivering high quality care to patients. So we ended up spinning up what we call integrated care services, which essentially take away some of that administrative management burden the specific workflows we have in place today are <clears throat> related to utilization management, quality management, compliance management, operations, and uh, revenue integrity. And we have our own own internal clinical staff, people who've come from PACE programs, who have experience, um, and who are, are willing to help serve programs to allow the internal PACE clinical teams to spend more time with participant care. Uh, so that's that's really the, the one of the new big things we've we've launched on top of the um, original software data platform offering. So you guys digested all those regulations on Saturday nights when you were in college, so that these executives could go to their kids' basketball games. <laughs> <laughs> we we did. We you know it's so funny. I think back at all those times as we were gleaning insights from the CMS regs and the Pace operating manuals, and I just I always remember calling Robbie like, "Well, did you know that Pace does this and that you can do this, and they have the opportunity to do this?" And that was that was really where where it started. But I think that that learning 
was so foundational for us, especially being so young in this space. We had to develop our, our expertise very quickly and develop that understanding of the ins and outs of PACE and the regulations were so critical so we can understand how PACE works, but then getting into the PACE program was critical to understand what, what PACE does. And, you know, people say, you really, you've seen one PACE program, you've seen one PACE program, or they say that, you know, you can't really understand PACE without being in the four walls. And we found that to be incredibly true. Yes, I would agree. You know, we used to, um, in the in the beginning, in the early days of PACE, and I know you work with Palmetto Senior Care and have done recently a, a, a podcast around the kind of history of PACE development with Judy Baskins. Um, but, you know, we back in the beginning, it was each one teach one. Mm-hmm. And so in the beginning, we sort of looked a little bit alike, but then, you know, it got to be each one teach many. And PACE really needs to take on the 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 look and feel of its community. And, um, and, but, you know, again, for our audience, if you may be anybody who may be new to PACE, the program of all-inclusive care of the elderly cares for people 55 and over who are duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid and who are frail enough to need a nursing home, but prefer to stay at home with the care and services of the PACE model, which is a comprehensive model um, that's really everything that Medicare and Medicaid would cover. So when you think about what you guys have undertaken here, um, PACE is like running a small city. It's everything from, you know, the welfare of your, um, of your, uh, the health and welfare of your, of your participants to making sure that somebody takes the garbage out at the PACE center, you know, and, and that we, you know, and transportation and all the rest of it. So you guys have really, um, you know, pulled together a pretty comprehensive data, data tools, um, that are really helping PACE programs operate. So you've learned a lot about PACE, and you've also learned a lot about kind of the tools needed for value-based care for frail seniors. How does that translate to, to other populations, and what other things are you guys working on? Great question. So <clears throat> one of the, I, I think, beautiful things that PACE has gotten right um, is the level of integration, the level of coordination, the fact that they really have all of the necessary disciplines of care to better manage these chronically ill, um, complex medical um, and vulnerable seniors, which in my opinion, like I see more programs shifting to look more PACE-like, whether that's DSNPs, ISNPs, traditional Medicare Advantage, Medicaid LTSS, like everyone wants to have those like very key aspects that PACE programs have. Um, then on the flip side, PACE programs nationally realize that there's a need to scale. So maybe there's something that PACE can pull from those other programs, um, I guess, outside of the regulatory barriers. Uh, for us, like really our goal is to ensure our mission and vision of, of having people receive the right care at the right time, specifically those very sick, vulnerable individuals, like regardless of which program they're in, like we want to deliver the best tools um, and reach as many patients and individuals as possible. Um, and from our perspective, we're going to continue to like rapidly build out a body of literature, body of best practices, um, best in class technology to be able to enable that. So whether it's PACE, whether it's 
some sort of high need special needs plan, whether it's a Medicaid program, if it's a, a, a wafer program, like we want everyone to have access to those tools. We want everyone to have aligned incentives to improve their clinical outcomes. And we want to be able to drive high quality, standardized, um, compliant care nationwide. One of the things that we talk about that, you know, I, I really appreciate is trying to build a world that and a care system that we would want to be cared for in one day. And, and ultimately, that's what what I'm most excited about in the ways that we build, the ways that we codify best practices, the ways that we develop our understanding of what works well for the senior population and specifically for the for the high need senior population. And like Robbie said, really want to take these great learnings that we've been developing and pace and, and help to uh, to create greater coverage for all of those individuals out there who have a, a similar um, a similar makeup. Well, you guys are enabling PACE providers across the country um, to allow them to do what they do best, which is care for frail seniors, make sure that they're staying out of the hospital, uh, keep them as independent as they can be uh, for as long as, as they can. And um, I really applaud the work that you're doing and excited to see what you guys come up with next. Um, I'm going to give you the final word. Um, is there anything new that you want to tell us um, before we sign off? Kathy, I actually have a question to flip back on you. So if you, if you had a magic wand right now, what would, what would you do in the care system? Like what, what change would you make? What would it look like? Um, how would you look to best manage these sorts of seniors? Well, you know, I have firmly believed for a long time that PACE is the gold standard and that, um, you know, and you, you, you'd think after 30 years that somehow that wouldn't hold up, that something else better would come along. But you just nailed it a few minutes ago. Everybody's trying to be PACE-like and it has maintained the gold standard. So for me, how do we make it better is by continuing to give the teams better tools um, better opportunities to scale. They're still small. There's 70,000 PACE uh, participants in the country, but there are millions, tens of millions of Medicare recipients and, and dual eligibles. How do we grow PACE and make it so that it is a as common as, you know, being on your, you know, on your nearby corner mm -hmm. um, and, so that people know, and they don't have to call Evan Jackson or Kathy McGuire to say, how do I get my mother in? And oh, is she in the right zip code? That we're really covering as many zip codes in the United States as we possibly can. Because again, the gold standard, people don't want to go to a nursing home. If we're going to have nursing homes, we want them to be the best they can be. But the fact of the matter is people didn't save their whole lives so that they could go to a nursing home. They saved those so they could stay home. So everything that we do to make it easier to care for people, to make it easier to scale, and to make it um, easier for them to have the information to make better decisions. I think at, at their fingertips is, is a really the things that we need to do. And of course, we've got to keep uh, the legislative focus on fair and equitable financing to be sure that um, these very expensive patients can be taken care of um, as participants in a program um, and and uh, lower the overall cost of care um, for the country. I, I couldn't agree more with that, Kathy. And we're really excited about the growth of PACE. We're really excited about the outcomes that 
that PACE programs are seeing. And, you know, for us today, we're, we're very excited about our growth and scale in the PACE community and beyond. You know, today we work with over 50 PACE programs across almost 20 states, which is just wild to look back on just a couple of years ago as we were we were working with our first uh, pilot program, PACE of Rhode Island, which has just been a, a great a great learning and pilot and, 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 and customer resource for us. But we're excited to continue growing within PACE, excited for opportunities outside of PACE and working with these similar populations ultimately um, to improve outcomes for, for all of these individuals. Well, I love what you just said because, you know, that's a 30% penetration rate of PACE programs in the U.S. in little, right around three years. Your private equity partners have to be really excited as you are. Your parents have to be really proud. And I think what that lays the groundwork for is, I can't wait to see what you guys do mm -hmm. next. And I hope that you'll come back and join us in the living room here on, um, on our podcast, Bringing Care Home. Mm -hmm.